You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. Coming up on the programme this evening, resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley from Food & Wine magazine will be joining me in the studio shortly to talk about her latest dining spot. Paula Connor, head of the Irish Curry Awards, will be on the phone to tell us about this new award. Georgina Campbell, head of Ireland's leading independent food and hospitality guide, Georgina Campbell's Ireland, will be sharing news about the winners of her 2017 awards. And finally, at the end of the show, I'll be talking to editor Caroline Gray about the October issue of Easy Food magazine. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. It's always great to hear from you. So as I said, the first guest this evening is our resident restaurant reviewer, Rachel Keeley from Food & Wine magazine. So let's find out about her latest dining spot. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rachel, you're very welcome back to the studio tonight. Hi Sharon, it's great to be here. And last month we were in Dingle, so we were in County Kerry, and this month we're back in Limerick and we're going Japanese. Yes, quite opposite to, to Idaho's and Dingle and County Kerry. Um, yes, it's Kyoto, it's a fairly recently opened restaurant that is in George's Quay, which is beside the Lock Bar and Azura restaurant there, um, beside the water um, in the medieval quarter in Limerick. Um, fairly recently opened, as I say, maybe only about two, three months, and we popped in for an evening meal last week. Japanese cuisine, there's been a bit of an explosion on the, the food scene of late between um, like street food vendors mm-hmm. doing sushi and whatnot, because I think that's what a lot of people closely associate with Japanese food. That's all they really know is sushi. Yes, yeah, no, they do. Um, absolutely. And you're right, it has exploded. I remember when Takichi opened up in Limerick, I remember thinking, jeepers, I wonder how that will go down. You know, will, will they sort of survive the test of time with a smaller population? Do you know, because obviously Japanese, uh, there's huge amounts of restaurants throughout the country, but Limerick is one of the smaller cities. So we go, hmm, how will it work out? Flying it. Uh, I think they're here three years now and it's still hard to get a restaurant and, uh, to get a reservation on a Saturday night. So obviously there's a real taste for it in the city. Yeah, that's testimony to how our, our tastes have expanded and broadened and that there's scope now in the city for a second Japanese. Restaurant. Absolutely. I think there's a real appetite to taste new things. I mean, I remember when I went to Takichi for the first time, I could hear, I mean, they have an enormous menu. It literally runs to pages. Uh, I could hear everyone around asking questions and the staff explaining different things. And people were all eager to just try new things and see how, how it goes down. Uh, clearly well, because as you say now, I think this is the third Japanese is open. Is it the recent. third? Okay. Yeah. I'm out of the sea, so I'm not in the city, so it's, it's hard <laughs> to keep so up. <laughs> So tell us a bit about Kyoto. Yeah, it's it's a small restaurant, not huge, nice little bit of outdoor space, uh, so you can sit outside if you want to. A uh, lovely part of Limerick to sit outside in, and uh, it's it's decorated in very much the traditional Japanese style. So a lot of wood, a lot of um, light, uh, very simple sort of design. Um, not a huge amount of uh, linens and, and table coverings or anything like that. Everything's quite quite simple in its presentation, uh, which is a very nice way to eat sometimes as well, just strip everything back to the basics and concentrate on the food, which is what we did. We ordered an awful lot. So it's like small, nice portion sizes then, kind of grazing type food. Well, it's kind of whatever you want of it. You know, you could you could order a very various different mix of sushi um, and fish and uh, maguro and things like that. Or you can order little tasting bites or you can order main dishes. Uh, us being us, we ordered a little bit of absolutely everything uh, because it all looked so good. Um, but often that's a good way just to explore and taste new things. 
So tell us what you had to eat then. Um, we started off with a couple of the smaller bites. We ordered um, gyoza, if I'm pronouncing that right. I think I'm just going to premise the entire conversation by saying I'll pronounce it the way I think it is. And after that, I don't know. Um, they're basically pan fried du- dumplings. Uh, in this case, they're made of duck. Uh, very, very tasty uh, little little bites um, because you're getting the, the it's very light sort of pastry. Um, it's almost consistency of phyllo and well, not phyllo, I suppose something softer than that. And um, the duck is like shredded duck inside. And then they are, they're often called pot stickers because they usually have the nice little kind of darkening in the bottom of the pot before they're taken out. So it'll be extra flavour. And it's served with a homemade sauce, which I think was mostly soy, essentially. Uh, they were €5.95 for six or seven of them, I think. Uh, so not bad and a lovely way to, to start off the meal. Sounds delicious now. Yeah. It sounds like the sort of starter I would like, but it doesn't sound like it was a starter. It was just part of... Yeah, I can't really... I suppose we're forcing... Um, Eastern sort of uh, meals into Western sort of presentation by by trying to find starters and main courses and desserts and all the rest of it. Um, whereas that doesn't necessarily exist in every format, you know. Um, in Japanese, Chinese food, all all anything outside, I suppose, of our tradition. Uh, so we just basically ploughed on and ordered more. So we uh, we next we had tiger prawns. Uh, it was called ibai tempura. Um, they were cooked in a crispy batter and served with a tempura sauce. Now, I, I tend to really like tempura when I go to Japanese restaurants because it's that little bit of decadence. You know it's bad for you. You know it's a little bit of stodge, but it's usually cooked with a bit of a lightness of hand uh, in the Japanese style, which um, makes it that little bit more forgivable. This was a little bit heavy. The batter was a little bit thick uh, on these, um, but the prawns inside were very, very nice. Very, very big, actually. And... um, kind of freshly fresh in terms of um, their flavours and lovely robust texture as well again one that I would tend to go for as well sounds very delicious it was, yeah. They're um, especially served with the with the tempura sauce, a uh, lovely tang to it. There may have been some plum in there, um, and it was perfect to cut through that that sort of batter, you know. Keep going and tell us what else was there. We said at this point that we had probably uh, tried some of the um, sushi and sashimi kind of recipes. So uh, we had sake salmon sashimi. Um, which essentially, if anybody's a little bit unfamiliar with it, it's the it's the rice that's served with the um, raw salmon draped across it. If that rings any bells, with I people. didn't know that <laughs> that was called. So that's good to know that. I wasn't entirely sure when I ordered it either, but it was a happy surprise. I put it that way. Um, Oh, I beg your pardon, sorry, the tuna. We had the Maguro tuna. The tuna is the, the one that's draped over the rice and the salmon sashimi is just the raw salmon that is um, that is sort of prepared in the traditional way and served with a little bit of wasabi to lift it. Buttery, buttery soft fish. Very, very delicious um, and very refreshing. Very lovely kind of light dish to have um, after the stodge of the... Um, the tempura as well it was a lovely way of tasting real food unadorned and unaccompanied by by heavy flavors and heavy ingredients and did you have any sushi itself then no the sashimi was probably the closest thing we had to the sushi i suppose for me i don't know what it is i suppose having sushi so often in london as lunch um often for dinner time then in a japanese place i often look for something different Uh, i just associate sushi with lunch it's only something in my head, but that's why we tried something different with the sashimi and the maguro tuna for the evening meal. I kind of associate it with a snack. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> need more afterwards. Yeah. yeah, maybe that's lunch, snack, same kind of thing. Yeah, you need something a bit more substantial for for an evening meal. So that sounds like you've had quite a lot. Was there anything else? Yep. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. We kept going. We shared a main dish. Um, and, and again, I said, I'm, I'm sort of forced it into a format there. We had beef teriyaki soba, which was a sliced grilled sirloin steak on a bed of egg fried noodles. And it was served with seasonable vegetables, uh, katsuobushi, pickles and sesame, all traditional ingredients that were all um, added in. And they really bolstered the flavor combination. They really sort of held up the dish and made it something that a little bit more richer um, than 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 I would have enjoyed with sort of similar dishes served elsewhere. It was very, very nice, very tasty. Lovely. The grilled sirloin actually was very good quality, which is unusual. I often find when I go to um, quite a few Japanese, Thai, Chinese restaurants, uh, because it's only flash fried, they often don't take the time to, to get a really good cut of, um, of beef. But in this case, it was, it was surprising. It was very nice. Fab. Mm. And that was where we drew to a close. Okay, I was <laughs> going was to say, food. did you? Ha- I was going to say, was it time for dessert? Now, was there any room for dessert? We actually didn't have dessert. Instead, we had some sake. Oh, um, we said we'd f- we, there was no more room. Absolutely no room for dessert. Uh, so we said we'd finish up with something a little bit different. It was I haven't had sake for years, um, and I think I remembered why. <laughs> it's a very very strong flavored uh, liquor and. Um, I did taste it, obviously. It, it certainly, it's got that heat that is um, sort of reminiscent of other uh, national drinks like, you know, sort of ouzo and I suppose to a certain extent some of the, the Irish pachin, that, that kind of extra burn that, that people would often enjoy. Um, but it's also got a very pure flavour as well, so I can see why people actually have it with food. It, it does make sense, even though the idea of having spirit with food is anathema to us. It, I could see why it works, especially with these kind of meals, do you know? Well, it sounds like you had a lovely meal. How much did it come to? It was quite good value. Um, during the meal, we also had, um, I had tried a plum wine, which was an experience uh, that I thought it was going to be terrible. I'll be very honest with you, but it was actually very nice. It, it was white, which was a surprise to me, I presumed, because of the, the colour association that it would be red wine. But it was white wine that mostly tasted like white wine with an extra sort of lingering finish of fruit, um, plum in particular, but it was very palatable. And my partner had an Asahi beer as well he had um, again he just wanted something traditional to, to have with it uh, so including the beer the wine and the sake and the variety of different dishes it only came to 58 euro that sounds like a, a, mm-hmm. a great value meal. it was given such an extensive meal yeah you know, um, absolutely very very good value and you don't have to certainly have as much as we had either you know so uh, definitely we'll be coming back for more so that's Kyoto on George's Key in Limerick City and you definitely would recommend it by the sounds of it. I would, just for something different, you know, um, to, to k- kind of mix up your palate, mix up the, your, your, your week in terms of what you're eating uh, and to taste something different. And again, it's quite small, so I would recommend reservations. They turned away quite a few people the night we were there who hadn't made them, so um, get on the phone. Super. Thanks a million, Rachel, for sharing your latest dining experience with us and we look forward to welcoming you back next month. Looking forward to it, Sharon. Thanks so much. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Thanks again to Rachel. And if you have a restaurant that you want to recommend and you'd like Rachel to go and visit it and then she could come on the show here and review it, please drop me an email with all the details to s.noonan at live.ie. Still to come tonight, I'll be talking to Georgina Campbell, Head of Ireland's Leading Independent Food and Hospitality Guide, Georgina Campbell's Ireland. And Georgina's going to be sharing news about the winners of her 2017 awards. And then towards the end of the show, we'll be talking to Caroline Gray, editor of Easy Food magazine. And Caroline will have all the details about what we can look forward to in the October issue. 
But before that, there's a chance to win a new award on the culinary scene. It's the Irish Curry Awards. And head judge for Ireland, Paul O'Connor, joins me on the phone now. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Paul, thanks so much for joining me on the phone this evening. Hi Sharon, delighted to be back on the show again. Nice to talk to you again. Um, and, and I'm delighted to talk to you about the first ever Irish Curry Awards, um, which was created by Ali Axter from Safa Restaurant in Belfast. Um, I should just mention that Ali has taken his restaurant obviously off any this completely, so that there's total clarity about that. So, um, and he came up with this idea to support the Children's Heartbeat Trust this year, and it's the very first year, and we're very excited about it. So why did he decide that there, there was a need for an Irish Curry Awards? Because that actually it would be a nice way of acknowledging the contribution made to our lives north and south in this country um, of Pakistani, Bangladeshi and Indian restaurants and curry houses and all of the interesting ethnic you know, foods that have been brought into our into our wonderful restaurants around the country, north and south. Um, it, started, it did start with him in Northern Ireland, and uh, Yoris Min from the Belfast Telegraph is looking after the judging in the north. Um, I was honoured to be uh, have asked to be um, judge in the Republic of Ireland, and I've appointed lots of judges around the country, yourself included, I'm delighted to say. Don't tell anybody. I know, I know, I know. They'll be looking out for you now, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> and um, is it just Indian restaurants or if there is like an, a European restaurant no, that no, does a good curry, can they be nominated? No, it's really, we're, we're looking at the Indian community um, and, and that's where he, he went from with, with this, you know, and, and, and the wider Indian community, I should say, including obviously Pakistan, which is separate, and Bangladesh is separate, but all to be all inclusive of the whole uh, continent there. Um, and it's, it's very exciting. And if you think about it, you know, it's brought sort of all sorts of interesting dishes to our, to our table. That includes the, the, the local European restaurants that have regular curries on their tables, you know. And it doesn't mean going forward next year or the year after that we won't be able to include um, European restaurants serving various Indian curries, you know, with their Indian chefs on board. So um, tell me then, where are we? Where are the judges going to be sent? How do you decide which places they go to? Are the public involved in this? The, the public have been voting and and continue to vote. And um, the shortlist was um, out about ten days ago, a weekend ago, um, for Ulster Munster, Leinster, and Connacht. Um, I said you are involved in the Ulster section. I'm involved in the other three provinces, and I've appointed judges to various parts country and I and you know I picked a nice mixed diverse bunch of people um all different but all knowledgeable of, of, of Indian and other foods um but all from different from T V presenters to radio presenters to um two of the top food bloggers in the country and um a Fort Ireland food ambassador and you know just an I picked a nice bunch of people. I talked long and hard about it. I didn't want to just say oh just pick bloggers or whatever, you know, uh, I just thought so I picked the best of, of a crop of really interesting people around the country um, to, to, um, to, to, to judge these different awards. And if you know what, ideally, I'm hoping, and that's what I'm saying to us, that I, I'd love to find little hidden gems <laughs> that I don't even know about, you know, in, in the list, because there are restaurants on the list that I've never heard of before, um, particularly outside Dublin. And I did the first uh, judging was actually on Saturday outside Dublin, and it was a Fort Ireland food ambassador who did that one, and 
you know, she found a little jam, you know, so which is really wonderful, you know, so, uh, but I'd never heard of it. But, so um, that's the kind of thing we really want. And I think that's kind of like going forward, that's the way I think the, it, it, this, these awards will hopefully progress. So whenever the judges go to the restaurants then, is there a specific type of curry that they have to order or is it just they can have whatever they like as long as it is a curry? No, they can have whatever they like, you know, and they can start a main course and start to focus on, you know, the, the whole... Well, well, there's awards for service, there's awards for chef and there's awards for, you know, really, what's a really good curry. And I, I discussed this with, with um, a couple of friends and you know, what, what should you look for? And I said, even little things like, actually, naan bread, because if you think about it, naan bread can vary from sometimes hard to sometimes mouth-watering, buttery and gorgeous. You know, so like, even the, the thought of putting into how the bread is delivered, because like, you can dip into that gorgeous curry when you, when, when you eventually get it, you know. So. And what is a good curry in your view? What makes a good curry? Mm, just nice spiciness, quality of the meat, good quality meat. Um, and just a nice mix of spices, real, real home, you know, cooked spices that are really, really good and fresh and light as well. I mean, like people, a lot of people think it's good and is, it can, can be heavy, but it's like a really good curry, actually really light and gorgeous and just flavoursome, as opposed to just spicy, you know, you, just because a load of chilli is poured in doesn't mean it's uh, a really good curry. Um, the quality of the spices and, you know, the different flavours, it's, it's just, Mm, that's what makes it really good curry for me. You're getting hungry, I think. I'm Paul. starving. I'm starving. I'm actually going out to a restaurant tonight <laughs> <laughs> to uh, judge one. So uh, I'm, 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 I'm nearly ready for it now. So. <laughs> it certainly sounds like you are. Yeah. So you will go and your judges will go to the restaurants that have been nominated and shortlisted and they will come back and report back to you. And then it's a combination, is it, it's between what they say? And, and it's, it's also a chat amongst the judges because at the end of the day, there's nobody make, going to make, like it would be a, a, a group of judges and, and the public vote making the final decision on it. And already, like from the first judge over the weekend, I was really excited when I got her feedback. And uh, it's kind of like, really really good you know because it's in I can't say where it was but it was it's well outside Dublin and I I said a restaurant I hadn't heard of and I thought that's what I really want I really want people to find gems you know that none of us have heard of and none of us have seen on Twitter or Facebook or even or anything you know it's just something forward that's really good Indian chefs and really good food you know and what what Ali the reason by the way Ali chose the Children Therapy Trust um, was because um, his daughter had a heart problem um, as a very young child and he wanted to give something back to them but like as I said he kind of has said to me that next year he'd love to do it in Dublin and for a, a children's charity down here and then the following year go back up to Belfast and, and have the awards up there and then just rotate it and I think as an island it's a wonderful idea and, and that's what made me jump at the thought of being head judge for Ireland so I'm excited about it And when are the winners announced? The 26th of October, um, and in Belfast, in the Ramada Plaza Hotel in Belfast, and um, it will be an exciting night. And it's about the first one, you know. So um, I'm kind of hoping that this will grow and grow, and I'm certainly doing my best, along with lots of others, to, to promote it and and hope that uh, you know it will just become a thing that everyone's oh, we're really looking forward to Curry Awards, and and people will report back saying that. I'm talking about the various curries and various places throughout the year so that we can have feedback and learn about new places.
So if somebody listening has a great curry house out there that they feel is very deserving of a nomination, then they can get onto the Facebook page or the website irishcurryawards.com and, and, and feed that information to yourself. They can feed it to us, but they're too late for this year's awards because the shortlist is already out and it's up there on the Facebook page. Um, but are they watching out for next year's one? So already, so um, and that's the kind of thing where you're trying to look how it'll go. So the, the public have already been voting. Um, the, the shortlist was announced I said about ten days ago, and um, the public can, can still continue to vote on the shortlist, and the judges are now out doing their uh, assessments. It's the last four weeks ago, so it's, it's getting close. Fantastic. Paul, thanks so much for telling us about it tonight. I'm looking forward now to doing a bit of judging myself. Great. And uh, and we will we'll be in touch with you then at the end of October to find out about the winners. Thanks a million, uh, Sharon. Look forward to talking to you. And thanks a million for uh, helping out with, with yours as well. We're delighted to have you on board. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, Rachel Keeley, our resident restaurant reviewer who writes for Food & Wine magazine, has been in the studio telling us all about her latest dining spot, which was Kyoto in Limerick City. And just before the break, Paul O'Connor had all the details about the Irish Curry Awards. Don't forget, if you've missed any of the shows so far, it will be up on the podcast later in the week and you'll find the podcast on SharonNoonan.com or you can also have a look for it in iTunes or use the podcast app. Still to come tonight, I'll be getting a preview of the October issue of Easy Food magazine with editor Caroline Gray. But before that, it's time to go over to the phone again and talk to Georgina Campbell, head of Ireland's leading independent food and hospitality guide, Georgina Campbell's Ireland, and find out about the 2017 award winners. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Georgina, thanks so much for joining us on the programme this evening to tell us about your 2017 awards. Thank you very much for having me, Sharon. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you. There's a very long list here and some very familiar places, some not so familiar to me. But the important thing about all of these places is you have personally visited them all. Yes, absolutely. We go to every county in Ireland every year. And as you know, we travel independently. We are just ordinary guests everywhere we go. So, you know, if necessary, we book in a different name. Uh, we pay the bill like everybody else. And, uh, you know, that is really what sets us apart from a lot of the other awards, that people can't apply to them. Um, I and, uh, you know, we uh, as a team nominate um, establishments that we think are, are really, you know, on the top of their game at the moment. And it's from that nominated pool uh, that we actually finally decide the winners. It's a little bit like... Uh, the Irish Food Writers Guild Awards or the Eurotalk Awards, where the nominations come uh, from a group of, uh, of, you know, very well qualified people, um, as opposed to the public um, writing in or um, establishments nominating themselves. I think that's actually very important because there's been a bit of a culture lately that's built up of uh, self-nomination and then canvassing uh, for online votes and things like that, and it can get quite out of hand. So this is very small and controlled, and it, it's to do with personal experience. 
Well, let's talk about some of the winners and we'll start close to home here, just down the road in Adair. 1826 Adair is doing extremely well with with awards of late. Well, I'm not surprised because it's absolutely terrific. Uh, Now, the Just Ask Award, uh, the reason... Now, in in fairness, and this is actually a point about all of our awards, almost all of the categories, the award winners are so good at what they do that they could easily be nominated in several categories. You know, they would be... They would be credible winners and uh, over a wide range of, of, of skills. And uh, the Just Ask was chosen for uh, 1826 because it's something that they do particularly well. But they could just as easily have been winners in, in another category because, as you know, they, they just are absolutely terrific. People love them. Their pricing is right. The atmosphere is lovely. Uh, the cooking is absolutely superb. And everything about it just gels. It's, it's just it's a lovely experience. But the reason that we chose them for uh, the Just Ask, the Just Ask, by the way, in case uh, your listeners might not be aware of it, is a campaign which is run, an initiative run by uh, Board Beer, uh, which is to encourage people to ask in restaurants if they can't see on the menu uh, where the food that they're going to eat comes from. So it's an, it's an encouragement to chefs uh, to be transparent and to support local uh, suppliers. So you couldn't ask for anybody better than Wade Murphy. Uh, in this regard, you know, he's the former uh, Commissioner General of Eurotoc, and that's very much their philosophy as well, to be supporting the local producers, particularly the small producers. And, uh, you know, if, if when you eat in a place like 1826, you know exactly where everything has come from, not because it's just a boring list that he feels he ought to add, but because it's something that he really cares passionately about, and he has a great working relationship uh, with these small producers and, and the suppliers who are making sure that he has the very best food possible in his kitchen. Uh, So, you know, you couldn't have anybody better uh, to win an award in this particular category. And he's a terrific role model, you know, for young chefs coming up. Um, To look at, I think of somebody, you know, going into college that they're interested in being a chef. And they perhaps hear about this award and they look on his website or they go visit the restaurant. And that, I think, you know, it gives a terrific uh, standard to match and to aspire to. And it, it, it's, it's wonderful to see people doing things at that level. The Board Beer, um, the, the Just Ask, Board Beer Just Ask award winners over the years have been very varied, different types of establishments. Could be a pub, a fine dining restaurant, a hotel restaurant, could be all kinds of things. Could be, you know, a little cottagey place. Uh, but it, it, it's, regardless of the place, it's that principle at, at the base of everything that they do. Uh, that they support their local suppliers and that they pass on the information to the customer. And it's particularly the meats, of course. Somewhere that I was recently that would share that same ethos as we had is Viewmont House in Longford. Oh, very much so, yes. Um, now, that they, as, as you know, it's our country house of the year this year. And I'm absolutely delighted now that, that you know, they're, they're fully registered accommodation. Uh, they are Blue Book members. That You know, they're very much... Um, uh, accommodation suppliers as well as the food but it is of course in recent years the food uh, which has, has earned them such a reputation and the work that they do uh, for the area uh, really is just amazing I mean a, a few years ago how, who on earth would have thought of Longford as being a food destination and yet now uh, you know thanks to the work that's going on at, at Beaumont House it's just the first place that people would think of going to and I think being Blue Book member has been very helpful to them in that uh, because there's nothing in that area 
and people look at the, the range of places, they know that they're all a very high standard, and think, oh, there's a place in Longford, we must try that, because it's, you know, it's, it's very handy for going en route to all kinds of other places. And it's just an absolute revelation to get to a town like Longford and to find that just on the edge of the town, there's somewhere like Viewmount, it, it, it feels as if it's totally country, and the gardens that they've uh, developed over the last 20 or so years they've been there, um, are just lovely. It, it's a series of rooms, and you, you can wander around as a guest. You wander around, you're in a different atmosphere every few minutes as you move from one room to the next. And, of course, the, they produce some of the food in the gardens as well. But it's a wonderful place and so relaxing. I had a lovely stay there, I have to say. My sister came down from Belfast, and I went up from Newcastle West, and we, we had a lovely like. You know, afternoon tea and a walk around the gardens, as you say, it saw all the produce growing, and then a little glass of prosecco before dinner, and a little <laughs> glass of prosecco after dinner, and the dinner was superb. So yeah, I can personally highly recommend that. I was delighted yes, to see that it got that award. You know, about meeting your sister, I think that's a, that's a very good example of you know how useful it is to have a really good place like that in that location. You know, it's great to have places that are in the middle of the country. And then, you know, if you're meeting relatives, so to people who live all over the place, uh, you, you can have these sort of wonderful experiences uh, without anybody having the, to cover the whole country. It's brilliant. Now, there's another place that caught my eye, and it's the fa- family-friendly destination of the year, uh, Bridget's Garden in County Galway. And I'd never heard of Bridget's Garden until about two weeks ago <laughs> when somebody told me their daughter's getting married there next year, and then here it was as one of your award winners. Yes, they do sort of alternative weddings. You know, it's a little bit hippie. It's lovely. Um, but and now this is, a, again, an interesting one because generally speaking, we, we always do the family-friendly award. And one of the things that we're often looking for is that kind of hotel that has everything for families so that they're kind of weatherproof holidays, holiday destinations for families, and they have all the amenities and so on. Uh, but it doesn't have to be a hotel. And this place, I think, is really interesting because uh, the gardens, are are educational you know they're all they're themed gardens and they're themed around um you know the things which are connected with uh, with irish history and mytho- mythology and so on uh, but they've also got these uh, sort of fairy gardens and things for little children there's, there's a there's a, a feeling of magic about the whole place and there's a very nice cafe uh which is child-friendly without being too in your face child-friendly you know it's, it's not uh, it's it, it's got a little corner where, where little ones can go with toys and things and it has high chairs and it has some uh, some sort of um, few things on the menu which are particularly aimed at children, but actually most of the things on the menu are, are things that you'd have at home every day anyway. Uh, so there's you know that you don't have to have everything on a children's menu, uh, but it, it's a real day out, and I think it's multi generational appeal as well, which is one of the reasons that we thought it was a really interesting choice uh, because it's it's a very gentle outing. And, you know, whether it's, whether it's the grannies and granddads who want to sort of wander around quietly or the children who want space to run around, or, as I say, the educational side of it, it's just lovely. And it, it, it all hangs together. It's a charity, actually. Uh, so it's a not-for-profit not organization. And it's, uh, it, it's hugely popular. You know, I, I know people who go and stay in Connemara uh, on family holidays, and they would spend two or three days 
uh, of perhaps a fortnight's holiday, going back to Bridget's garden because the children like it so much. It certainly sounds like it's well worth a visit. I'll have to put that onto my list and do it sooner (laughs) rather than later with my two smallies. (laughs) Northern Ireland did particularly well as well, which I'm always delighted to see with my own connections there, obviously. And uh, with with it being the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink and all the celebrations taking place there this year, you are focusing on them once a month with your monthly e-sign. Yes, indeed. Uh, Yes, we've been trying to follow the, um, the, the calendar as far as possible. Uh, Michelle Shirley worked out a really good uh, of uh, Food Northern Ireland uh, worked out a really good uh, calendar to take us through the year so that there's a theme each month, which is a really clever thing to do, and it, it focuses your attention on you know a particular aspect of food and drink in the north. And um, I've been up a lot. I mean, we always travel in the north. I think this year probably more than usual, probably because of those events. And uh, I, I find this huge buzz in the air. There's a huge excitement about everything that's going on. There's great creativity. There are great products coming on. Uh, you know, I was a student in Belfast Donkeys years ago, and there was nothing then. There was good basic produce, and thankfully that is still there. It's still a great um, aspect of uh, Northern Irish food that the basic produce is really, really good. Terrific meat, terrific vegetables, terrific seafood. And that's still the case. Uh, but there weren't any of the sort of the added value products that there are now. I mean, there were no cheeses, for example, um, at that time. And now, look at the choice. It's absolutely wonderful. So I find uh, going back is really exciting and seeing you know, how people are coming on and the great enthusiasm there is uh, for developing a sector, which is really bringing a lot of people to the area and giving people a different perception of the North. I think that is the main thing that really people feel differently. And that's actually one of the reasons that we chose uh, one of the, the awards in the North. We have, as you say, several. Um, there's the Casual Dining Restaurant of the Year, uh, for Vickers Nama, which is superb food and atmosphere. I mean, it's a lovely place, and it's, it's reason in itself to go to Nama City. Uh, but the one that, that I was going to mention particularly is the Hideaway of the Year at uh, Bishopsgate Hotel in Derry. Now, the reason that we chose that, apart from the fact that it has that kind of hideaway ambience, uh, which is lovely in a city. I think it's particularly interesting to find that in a city as opposed to in a remote area up a mountain or beside the sea. Um, the, the, this particular place, I, you know, I'd really like people to think of Derry as being a place that you can go and find a hideaway and that it's, you know, it's a kind of a romantic idea. Uh, it's, it, it's just it's a new way of looking at the city. And I hope that it will take people uh, to the city to have fun because it's a great fun city now. It's a fabulous city, isn't it? Oh, it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And I must try the four vicars now. I have friends in Armagh, so I, I'd be putting that on the list. And I think there's a, there's a festival on there in November time, a writing-type festival. That's right, that's right. Oh, and don't forget, I don't know if you're a doggy person, but don't forget about, about our pet-friendly hotel of the year, which is in Bangor. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, the Salty Dog. And actually, this was great fun because uh, Kenneth Sharp, the proprietor of Salty Dog, he and his staff, they all wear these uniforms with, with their logo on. And they've got paws on, there, all up, on the back of the shirt, paw marks. <laughs> really funny. Very uh, clever. Yeah. It's a terrific place. And, uh, you know, they have a, a board on the pavement outside the hotel, which welcomes people who are out walking their dogs to come in and to have a, a, a drink and a bite in the bar and to bring the dog in. And it's lovely because you have people in the bar. The dogs are impeccably behaved. I mean, I've been there lots of times, and there's never any bother. And they have water um, 
powered for the dogs and mats on the floor and everything. And, uh, you know, they, they all just, I suppose they're used to it. Maybe they come every time they go out for a walk, but they're terribly well behaved. And our dog, Pippa, chose this as the hotel, the pet friendly hotel of the year, because she says it's her most favorite place in Ireland to go at the moment, because it's a, it's a place where pets are just treated as normal. You know, it's no big deal. And uh, she's allowed in the room, and it's quite obvious from, you know, that the way that the place is that people respect uh, the rules and regulations that there are. And uh, they're not very many, but, you know, as long as people look after their dogs properly, keep them on a lead and keep them on the floor and so on, um, there's no bother. And it just seems to work really well. It's a very happy atmosphere. Well, your host of the year, Kathleen O'Sullivan from Seaview House Hotel in Ballylicky, that's a pet-friendly hotel because I have had experience of being there with my dog. Yes, it is. And actually quite a few of these are pet-friendly. I haven't particularly highlighted it uh, in this case, but you're quite right. Um, You know, we picked the one to be pet-friendly, but quite a few of the others uh, accept pets. You know, either either they make a, a thing of it, you know, it's a selling point, or in many cases, they simply, they don't make any big deal about it on their websites or anything. But if you ask, uh, you would actually be allowed to bring a pet. I mean, that's the case, for example, for our Hotel of the Year, um, which is um, in, uh, in in Donegal, um, the uh, Harvey's Point Hotel on Loch Esk. Um, they're, they're very uh, pet-friendly, but it can happen with pet-friendly places that you can end up with too many dogs all at once. So I think that a lot of places actually like to do it more discreetly and you know not make it a selling point. Um, but you're right about Seaview. Uh, we've stayed there with dog on many occasions. Um, but the point on this occasion, of course, was Kathleen O'Sullivan herself and what a wonderful host she is. Now, she's very camera shy. <laughs> I found it very difficult to find a photograph of her, but we found a lovely one in the end, uh, which that one of her friends supplied. Uh, had taken off her when she she caught her when she wasn't <laughs> expecting to be photographed and it's absolutely charming uh, but she's a wonderful host and the whole place everything is so immaculate you know, the gardens there's nothing out of place anywhere it's so warm and cosy and the food is good the lovely view of course but it's actually it's the personal touch that really is what people go there for and she, one piece of advice if you are going there is to plan your route very carefully <laughs> and not end up going over the mountain like we oh, once did. Yes. I think <laughs> so, you and I have got the same mountain yeah. in mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I know now that she certainly is the host of the year whenever one, some of the Americans have arrived in and reached for the brandy bottle to steady <laughs> their nerves after that. Yes, it's an absolutely nerve-wracking hill. And, you know, the, the strange thing is that there's no particular warning. You know, you drive up it and there's there's nothing at the bottom saying, you know, this, this is a nerve-wracking <laughs> drive or there's no turning space or anything like that. So, it, it, yes, it, it it is quite interesting, as they say. But actually, I've, I've never heard of any disasters, so I suppose people can cope with it. I wouldn't chance it. <laughs> <laughs> the views are wonderful. The last award then, I suppose, we have to talk about the Georgina Cam. Award 2017. Tell us about that. Ah, yes. We introduced this a few years ago. This is um, to uh, to acknowledge uh, the contribution that uh, certain individuals have made, uh, you know, to Irish hospitality, Irish food and hospitality. So it is very special, and it, you know, it's it's a personal uh, accolade uh, for people I particularly admire. And uh, this year, it's Peter and Mary Ward of Country Choice and Nina. And I mean, I mean, everybody knows Peter and Mary, and nobody will wonder why they were chosen. Uh, they've just done so much, you know, over the last 
30, 35 years they've been a country choice. It seems extraordinary to think you know, Peter was only a lad of 23 when they opened. You know, imagine a lad of 23 setting out to do that. It's amazing. And, you know, the wonderful food that, that, that Mary produces, those fantastic Christmas puddings. I mean, you know, why would you make Christmas puddings when you can have one of theirs? They're just so special. And uh, and all the millions and millions of jars of jam and everything, and everyone handmade and on the premises. You know, there's no sort of production unit around the corner or anything like that. And then Peter, with the, you know the way that he mines cheeses, and he's so tied in with all of the local producers, and he's so proud of Tipperary and the straightforward, really good produce that that Tipperary grows and produces. You know, the terrific meats and the terrific cheeses and the, the all of those things that are just simple temporary foods. And he's so adamant about the food that they sell being in season. And, you know, he doesn't care if, if, you know, you go in and you want something and it's not in season. He doesn't care that he hasn't got it. He'd much rather persuade you to buy something that is in season. And, you know, that's just lovely. And then, of course, they have also introduced some products that they buy directly from abroad, uh, things like olive oil and so on. And those and wines, uh, those that you know, they're able to sell those at a very good price because they um, import them directly, and that's all part of a campaign, you know, to fight the multiples because they see the damage that the multiples are doing um, to to our network of small suppliers, and they they're fighting back in a very practical way, and I think it's absolutely wonderful. Well, a super list of places to put on the list. So great to see some of them that I have been to already and definitely some great recommendations there. So if people want to go onto your website, I suppose that is the best place yeah. for them to go to find yeah. out who the winners were. Yes, indeed. It's com. Fantastic. Georgina, yeah. thanks so much for sharing all of that with us this evening. Thank you very much. And I hope that, you know, a lot of people will have a lot of fun with the list. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, I was talking to Georgina Campbell about her recent awards and earlier Rachel Keeley reviewed her latest dining spot, Kyoto in Limerick, and Paul O'Connor told us all about the Irish Curry Awards. If you are just tuning in, you can catch the full show later in the week on the podcast. You'll find it on SharonNoonan.com or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. We're at the final interview of the evening and it's to find out more about what we can look forward to in the October issue of Easy Food magazine with editor Caroline Gray. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Caroline, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Thanks so much, Sharon. Hard to believe that it's October and the October issue is due out next week on the 10th. Oh my gosh. We can't believe it. Yeah, we're October issues here already, so we're full into, uh, you know, comforting home cooking and warming meals to kind of chill, you know, for the chilly nights. So it seems like summer was just here, but I know Christmas will be around the corner now. Exactly, yes. And with all your issues, you have a guest editor. So tell us who it is this month. So this month, we're so excited. We have Lily Higgins as our guest editor. Um, You know, you might recognize her kind of from the... uh, baking scene in Ireland. She was a judge on the Great Irish Bake Off and just her recipes over the last few years um, have been really focused on really comforting home cooking. So 
she has two cookbooks. One is uh, called Make, Bake, Love, and it's all just her, kind of an extension of her own blog. So just all like just the most fabulous baked treats you can imagine. And then her second book was called Dream Deli. And this is where she gets into more savory cooking and, you know, just some of the really wholesome, healthy meals that she loves to cook at home for her family. So in the feature in the magazine, it's a really nice mixture of the two. So we have a little bit of the sweet, a little bit of the savoury as well. And uh, we're just delighted to have Lily working with us. Well, it'll be great to see those autumnal recipes that you Mm -hmm. talked about there at um, the start of the interview, because I think Lily is mostly associated with baking. So lovely to see her doing those other sort of dishes that she does. And as you say, for her family. Yeah, that's the thing. And, you know, she says herself, you know, when she started off, there was so much, you know, it was all about the baking, but, you know, she herself, she's like, she likes to cook and bake a lot with, um, you know, she doesn't try to use a lot of white sugar all the time, and she wants to feed her family, you know, really wholesome, healthy things, and she'll experiment with a lot of different, you know, healthy ingredients, so it's really nice to be able to include these types of dishes in here as well. So, you know, she was running kind of a pop-up um, cafe with her sister for about a year, and so a lot of the book of the Dream Deli book was inspired by that time. So it's just, again, it's just totally filled with flavor. And, you know, just with her, it's things that kind of warm the soul anyway. So we're just, yeah, it's a really great feature. I'm really excited about it. So as we would expect, we have those lovely autumnal recipes from her. And also then as part of your weekly menu planner, you must have lots of great kind of cozy type dishes for this time of the year also. Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's some... You know, again, like like I was saying, it's just things that kind of when you're in from a chilly night and everything, you just kind of want to whip something up that's going to keep everybody full and kind of warm the belly. So, I mean, there's everything from kind of some uh, like nice meat-free veggie burrito bowls to a really super simple pasta bake that, you know, everybody in the office just devoured that. So I'm sure that would go down the treat. Um, and then just, you know, kind of a twist on a fish pie and even a nice warming apple dessert that makes use of the, you know, really fresh seasonal apples this time of year. So like usual, the weekly menu planner it kind of just has the go-to meals that just kind of answer the what's for dinner question. Michael Fleming, the butcher, is a regular in the magazine now and he is going to advise about the slow cooker because these types of dishes that you're talking about are perfect for a slow cooker. And I think a lot of people may be guilty, like myself, of having one of these slow cookers in a lovely box at the back of a cupboard somewhere. I know. I have to tell you, I just broke mine out the other day, actually. It was time to dust it off. And every time I break it out, I just remember how much I love it. I mean, it's it's really one of these things that during the winter should nearly just live on your kitchen counter. Um, so Michael's talking about, you know, he kind of talks about the basics of what makes a good slow cooker dinner. I mean, at the end of the day, what you're doing is just you're buying a cut of beef or a cut of meat, um, you know, and it's probably inexpensive because the meat that works best for slow cooking are, is the type that, you know, is quite tough. They're the muscles that get worked the most on the animal, so it needs this long, low, slow cooking period to really break everything down. But what you're left with is this unbelievably flavorsome, kind of foolproof meal at the end of the day. So not only does he kind of go through, you know, maybe what to ask your butcher, what to look for, what to avoid, but um, we have this really nice recipe for um, a slow cooker kind of cheesy chicken pasta. So the beauty of this is not only is the meat cooked in it, but you end up putting the pasta and the sauce back in it as well to cook for a little bit. So, you know, you really get some ideas as to just how versatile um, your 
slow cooker can be. And it cuts down on so much work and time and effort as well. Oh, definitely. That's it. I mean, you can really just kind of throw everything right in there, you know, set it for however many hours, and you come back and you have this absolutely gorgeous meal just waiting to be eaten. So, um, yeah, it, like I said, it's one of my absolute favorite ways of cooking, but it's, I don't know what it is. I just kind of think to put it away, and then I kind of forget about it for a while. But you can really make, you know, you can save so much money and time by using it. Something else that caught my eye in this issue, and I think it's probably because I'm just back from Dingle and the fabulous Dingle Food Festival, (laughs) is the Dingle Cookery School has something in there. Yes, exactly. So uh, we were delighted to kind of feature some recipes from uh, the Dingle Cookery School just in the issue. And, you know, again, they're weeknight warmers, so we have some really gorgeous. It's like there's a roast cauliflower soup. Uh, there's a uh, traditional carry apple cake, um, and even sometimes like slow-cooked lamb shanks and a uh, nice potato gratin. But um, the great thing about this is just kind of some of the tips from the Dingle Cookery School. They kind of walk you through and they'll explain bit by bit, you know, why you're doing something or, you know, why you're cooking the meat for so long or why you're layering the potatoes in this way. So it's just kind of a fun, informative feature. But at the end of the day, there's a few just really absolutely gorgeous recipes that, um, you know, I'm sure it would definitely be a hit this time of year on the kitchen table. I think we should also mention that as part of the Dingle Food Festival, they also have the Blossom Erin Awards every year. So there's lots of the artisan products and various different produce from throughout the country would have got the gold, silver and bronze at the weekend. And it's not alone in being one of these competitions in yeah. Ireland that recognises quality food. And you have yeah. a, a big spread in there about the Irish Quality Food Awards. Yes, yeah, we do. So like you said, um, you know, the, you know, kind of like Bosnia and the Irish Quality Food Awards, it just recognizes, um, this recognizes the, you know, the best, some of the best products that are available to Irish consumers just in supermarkets across the country. So what we've done is, you know, just wanting to pass on this information and as well, these products are chosen not only for, you know, having a you know great taste and just, you know, looking good and kind of adhering to what we would all consider to be a quality Irish product, but you know, they all have to be really good value for money. So we want to make sure that all easy food readers kind of know how to spot these when they're in the supermarket. And, um, yeah, so we've actually included just a nice big feature at the end of the magazine um, listing literally every product and an image of it and, um, you know, where you can find it and a little bit about the winners that kind of came out on top. There's a few of the the gold winners, they call them. So there's a few products that were kind of the best of the best. And, uh, yeah, so... Again, just kind of passing on the information so everybody knows how to find them and where to find them. Irish cheese always features very heavily oh, whenever yeah. it comes to awards. And Definitely. you've lots of cheesy recipes <laughs> in there this, this we month. Do. We do. We've kind of gone um, full on with the cheese in this issue, at which we were all very delighted about. So we have a nice five ways of cheese feature. And um, yeah, just some really easy uh, autumnal recipes that just totally make the most of all different kinds of cheeses that you can find. And one of my favorite, actually my very favorite recipe from this issue, even though it's usually a sweet thing, is one of these cheese uh, recipes. It's like a roasted garlic macaroni and cheese, and it's just to die for. I mean, any but like you'd put this on a table in front of anybody, whether it's friends for a dinner party or the kids at the end of a busy day, and it'll just get devoured. Sounds delicious with a bit of garlic uh, in it there. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, but also very calorie-laden, calorie unfortunately. That goes hand in hand with cheese. <laughs> so tell us, what have you got in there? If we're starting to think, okay, Christmas is coming, we might like to cut mm-hmm. back a little bit. Have you anything that is um, not so heavy on the calories? Uh, we do, yeah. So we have, um, we always have like a 15 ways with feature. So they're just kind of short little uh, touchy recipes. And um, so in this issue, we have 15 ways with low calorie meals. And we've just broken it up by breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, so all of the meals are just, uh, you know, you won't feel too weighed down by eating them, especially this time of year. You do kind of need to interject these kind of lighter, better for you meals with some of the, you know, warming stick to your bones recipes that we tend to cook at this time of year and everything but um yeah so we do we have something to kind of balance everything out fantastic and of course halloween is only in a few weeks time so what have you got in there for us if we're going to break out the 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 penny and do some exciting spooky type treats yeah we have um so we have just kind of we have a really gorgeous traditional barn brack recipe in here and I know it's maybe one of those things that people either have an old family recipe for or you know maybe some people even just buy it in the shop but it's actually so easy to make and um you know when we tried it here it was just absolutely gorgeous but there's a little bit of a twist on this one that it has some uh, mashed banana and some extra grated apple in there so it might not be the most traditional actually but it's actually really really moist and totally full of flavor with this um and then as always, we like to get the kids cooking, and we have um, some kind of fun little chili con carne recipes for the kids to make. And even though it's not the typical, you know, um, like Halloween sweet treat thing, it's something that if you were kind of having a party or if you were having the kids over for something, um, it's something that they can kind of cook up in the kitchen themselves and have a bit of fun with. I love a chili con carne myself, <laughs> so I do. Oh, they're the best. I know, that's the thing. We made it for the kids, but it was definitely eaten by all the adults in the office. So <laughs> so tell me, what's your all-time favourite recipe in this month's issue, Caroline? Oh, let's see. Well, now, a, a close runner, we did this really gorgeous caramelised apple tart. Not apple tart, it was actually a pear tart, because we have a feature with... Um, kind of pick aside pear tart so we have a really gorgeous sweet one with a whiskey honeycomb ice cream but like I said I think I just have to go with the roasted garlic mac and cheese it's just it was as good as we were hoping it was going to be so that's that's the winner this issue we'll definitely have to give it a go now yep. next month you're busy at the moment preparing for Christmas I know we're not really yeah. allowed to say that word <laughs> but there it is so there it is it's been on the table now yeah so that's we, it so after the October issue we're straight into Christmas so we shall talk to you again probably at the end of November about that mm-hmm. one yep perfect yeah because that's it our Christmas issue will be on sale actually from the yeah from mid-November until the end of December so it gives plenty of time for prepping and cooking and getting all the gorgeous menu ideas planned for the big day. And a, p- a few practice runs if you feel like it. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> Fantastic. Caroline, great to talk to you as always. That's Easy Food Magazine. The October issue is due out on the 10th of October, so the listeners must keep an eye out for it in all good news agents. Thanks, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Sadly, that brings us to the end of tonight's show, which will be on the podcast later in the week, SharonNoonan.com, or subscribe to it free of charge on iTunes or use the podcast app. Thanks so much for your company and to all of this evening's guests, Rachel Keeley, Paul O'Connor, Georgina Campbell and Caroline Gray. I'll be back at the same time next Tuesday, all being well. So until then, have a fantastic week and bon appétit. 
Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!